Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. As I pray, listen to the words of the psalmist. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according after the order of Melchizedek. Father, we have sung of you being our, our savior, our warrior, our God, um, that, we, that you deserve all the glory, that you are to be crowned uh, the Lord of all. And, and now it's the time in this worship gathering where we go to your word and we see what you have said to us, your people, uh, and you seek to equip and build us up. And so I pray that, that this time of opening the scriptures would be fruitful for this church Lord, I am reminded very clearly as we sing these songs that Jesus had to die for me because I am a wretch. And I'm probably the least worthy person to preach and teach the scripture this morning. Uh, So I just ask for your grace and mercy and that you, despite me, would glorify Christ our Savior. That I would get out of the way and people wouldn't see me, but they would just hear the truth and they would just see how it works in their lives and how you desire for us to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel and of you and that we would turn from these things that, that keep us from fellowship with you and that make us not salt and light and that hinder our relationships and that we would pursue you with our whole heart, that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And so just help us that, do that this morning as we celebrate your table, as we remember what you've done as our Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. We have been studying uh, the life of Abraham uh, over the last couple of weeks. And what we've seen is that we are all forever really connected to the story of Abraham. All right, our story goes back to his story as the great, classic, theologically rich hymn says, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, right? We'll do that one after service. That's the, that's the one. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, and I realize that you may be here this morning and you're not, and that's great because we are glad you're here, but if you are a, a follower, you are connected to Abraham's story, that he is the father of the faithful, Right, that, that he is, is by faith our spiritual father. And, and we have seen over the last couple of weeks that he is just one small piece in the big story of what God is doing. When man rebels in the garden, God promises that one day the seed of a woman would crush the head of a serpent. And the next thing we see about who this, this seed of a woman, where is that gonna come from, is in a moon-worshiping, old, barren guy who lives in a real dark city named Abraham. And God tells him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, right? I'm going to make you a great nation. 
And then in you, Abram, all the nations of the world, every single nation is going to be blessed. And when the Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians, he says that God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. That, that all the nations being blessed, that, that's a reference to the Messiah of what Jesus would one day do. He says, I'm going to do all that through you, Abram. And so we've seen this guy step out in faith and he's had some rocky times and he's going to have some more. But for the most part, this is a guy who walks by faith. He lives a life of faith. And we're going to come to a chapter today. A lot of guys skip this chapter. We don't do much skipping here. I would have skipped it if I could, but my conscience wouldn't let me. So we're going to look at it. But as I read this chapter, and some of you probably read it this week and like, what's Fowler going to do with this one? All right? I don't know yet. We'll figure it out as I go. No. But this is one of those chapters that I think that in Abram's life, he looks back and he's like, remember that? That was pretty good. You all have those stories that like around the Thanksgiving table when you gather as a family and you, it's the same story. Remember when that happened? And you, it's kind of like the family lore. When I was growing up, my mom always talked about with my grandfather, this time she wouldn't eat asparagus because it looked like snakes. And so she would never eat asparagus. And so they always brought that up and it was silly, but that was kind of the family lore. Well, I think this is one of those stories that they're like, you remember that? That was pretty good. That was, that was a pretty awesome time. I wish I was there. Because we're going to see a great battle. We're going to see great conflict. We're going to see good guys. We're going to see bad guys. We're going to see a real famous guy at the end, right? If he was living in, the, in this period of time, there's a guy that Abraham would have a selfie with this guy. Like, hey, remember that? Remember we saw that guy? This is one of those stories, all right? And, and we're going to take a real shotgun approach at it today. Okay, because there's just so much here and we could do 17 different things with it and people do. So I'm just going to take a shotgun approach and we're going to walk through the story and I'm just going to highlight some things for us that really hopefully will encourage us in our walk, walk of faith. Because what we want to see as we, as we grow as Christians is, is just an upward trajectory. You know, there's going to be dips, kind of like the stock market. It's going to be dips at times, but we want to see that this is the way we're going eventually. And as we do, I hope that some of these things will start becoming part of our story. These things that Abram's like, remember that? Remember we did that? That, that, will ha- that these things will start showing up more and more. So I got a couple of these things. I'm kind of throwing them out there like a shotgun. Hopefully one of them will you'll get, land on you, okay? If not, well, next week I'll get something for you. But for now, just kind of let's walk through the story, see what happens here. And, uh, and, and we'll talk about this at the end, this famous guy who, who Abram runs into as well. Chapter 14, verse 1. Genesis, sorry. In the, in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And these all joined forces in the Valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Okay, so you're all like, this sounds very Lord of the Rings. Yes, it does. <laughs> but here's what, you need, here's what you need to grasp. There is four kings versus five kings. That, that's really what's going on here. There's four kings versus five kings, and they're going to go to war. They're going to join forces. Here, let me give you a map of where we're at right now. Okay, the four kings are over these areas. It's kind of this big sweeping fertile crescent. These are where the four kings are from. The five kings are from this small little area right here. And these five kings control a natural land bridge, a road that back then was called the, the Highway of the Kings that connected Egypt to the east. And if you, if you, it's like the I-95 of the east. And if you control this area, you control commerce. 
Everything come out of Egypt, everything coming off the med. And so these five kings, these little guys, have had enough with these big four. All right, they're like, enough's enough. We're sick of paying tribute. We're sick of paying you guys taxes. So the next verse, 12 years they had served Ketolamer, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Ketolamer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim and the Asheroth Kirnaim and the Zuzim in Ham, Woo. and Emim in Shavev Kiriathim, okay? And the Horites in their hill country of Seir as follows Elperon on the border of the wilderness. And so you have this battle that takes place where the modern, not modern day, but where the Amalekites by the coast. And he's, these people all know what he's talking about. We have no clue, but that's okay. The big point is this. Then they turned back and came to En Mishvat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and all the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazaron Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adam, the king of Zeabim, the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and they joined the battle in the valley of Siddim with Ketalamar, king of Elam, Tadal, king of Goim, the four guys. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of them fell into them and the rest fled into the hill country. So big picture, five kings versus four. The four kings whooped the five kings. And as they do, those who lived around Sodom and Gomorrah, they're running away and they're falling into tar pits. Why they didn't go around the tar pits, I have no clue. Um, Lesson number one, stay away from the tar pits today, right? So we say, okay, why is this Lord of the Rings, this passage here? What does this at all have to do with our guy, Abraham, right? Well, what we see is Sodom is one of these kings. And who is it? We learned last week that's living next to Sodom, Lot. And they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and they went their way. So this economic decision that Lot made last week, remember what's best for him, what's better business for him, he chooses to live next to Sodom, he's really rich. It's costly now, isn't it? He loses everything, and he is now a slave of these four kings, and he is taken off in chains because of his decision to live in Sodom, that brings in Father Abraham, right? One of the guys gets away. The one who had escaped came and told Abraham the Hebrew. This is the first time he's ever called a Hebrew. This is the first time we see Hebrew in all the scripture. Who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and honor, and these were allies. And so what we see is Abram now has a little coalition. He's become a powerful man. And when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in this house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So Abram hears Lot's been captured. It's his kinsman. He goes 150 miles north with 318 of his guys that are soldiers. He mobilizes them. Then he divides his forces against them by night because he's way outnumbered. He figures they're sleeping, they're partying, they're not aware. So he splits his forces at night. They attack they route him and then they chase him another 100 miles to the north, north of Damascus. And they win this great victory. And then they bring him back. He brings back all the possessions, also back his kinsman lot with his possessions and the women. All right? That is a story you're probably going to tell your grandkids. We went up and whooped up on some kings. You should have seen your Uncle Charlie. He was going crazy. Right? Oh, it was awesome. You should have seen it. And, and it's probably by you know, 10, 15 years later, it's exaggerated. I had like, I took like a 37 guys in one second. You should have seen me. One swoop. Right? It's one of those stories that goes back and you're going to talk about. 
And let me just highlight a couple things just out of this first portion, because this is actually not the main point of the story. The main point of the story is the guy who's coming in a few verses. But let me just highlight kind of two big picture things that I think about as I, as I look at this text. And I realize this is foreign for us. Most of you are not gonna rally the fam together with the dog and go attack the annoying neighbor up the street. It's not gonna happen. Well, maybe it is, but it shouldn't. And if you do it, don't tell him you go to church here. So that's probably not a great application for us. But let, let's dig in a little deeper there. Who is the original audience that's gonna be listening to this? Who's this written to? It's written to the people of Israel wandering around the wilderness. Moses is writing it to them. He's writing it for them. They are a group of people who really are not trained in war. They are surrounded by people who want to kill them. And then they're gonna go into a land where God has said, yes, everyone is bigger and stronger and better fighters, but I'm gonna deliver it to you guys. And what they are seeing is, wait, Abraham was outgunned. He was an old man. He's outnumbered. And God gave him the victory. Well, maybe God will be on our side too when we go into land. Maybe God will get the Hittites and the Canaanites and all the ites. Maybe he'll deliver them into our hands. And it's meant to be an encouragement to these people who are living in a life of battle. And you take that all the way to our context, 4,000 years later. What we see, what the Apostle Paul says is this, you and I are fighting a battle. Our war though is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Philistines. It's not against your neighbors. Our war is in the spiritual realm. It is against the evil forces of, of darkness. And even though it feels very physical sometimes, because it does, our war, our battle feels physical and there is a physical component to it, but it's ultimately a spiritual battle. So if you're struggling with you know, body image issues or purity, that's a very physical feeling thing, but ultimately it's a spiritual thing. It goes back to who your identity is. You don't have to say, well, I wish my hair was longer, my, my face was this, my nose was this, my feet weren't this, because my identity is not rooted in my external appearance, it is, it is found in Christ. And so ultimately down to the core, it's a spiritual issue. When you got conflict with kids, right? It's yes, it's a behavioral issue. Yes, it's physical. Pick up your Legos. I'm sick of stepping on your Legos. I'm sick of Captain Crunch on the floor, right? Yeah, and I see all the moms are like, yeah, yeah, that's application, right? That it feels very physical, but ultimately there's a spiritual issue there. You can't control your kids by making them put their dishes in the sink as much as you want. It's ultimately a heart issue. It's ultimately spirit. When you go to work and there's all these different ideas and all this conflict and this guy's got an agenda. Yeah, there's all these, there's all struggles. It's very physical, but ultimately you're dealing with pride and you're dealing with selfishness and you're dealing with stuff under the, under the surface. Addictions, there's a physical aspect to it, but ultimately it's a, it's a soul issue that your need is for something other than God, that you're loving God with, you're not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You're loving that thing, that addiction. You need that more than you need God. So, so the battle, even though it feels physical, its, it's root is spiritual. It's, there's a spiritual side to this. And here's what we need to get as, as a church living 2,000 years after the cross and after the empty grave, okay, is that we as Christians need to fight the battle from a position of victory. And here's why I say this. Because some of y'all, you just walk around life Woe is me. I'm a loser. So why don't you kill me? 
I can't do anything right. I'll never have a good marriage. I'll never have the good job. I'll never have victory over my sin. Just, I'm a loser. Then I go to church. And you live your Christian life in defeat. Right? That, that's the way some of us do. We just mope. Oh, I'm so bad. Oh. And you need to understand what the New Testament teaches is that we have a champion who has conquered death and the grave and the enemy. That's Genesis 3. The head of the serpent will be crushed by the seed of the woman. Has he done that? Yes. Did he come out of the grave being declared the son of God in power? Yes. And he's given you all these promises now. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right? That's, that's a big one. Take, you're gonna, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He talks about in Colossians 1, I read it to you guys last week, that he, he disarmed the rulers and the powers and the authorities. You know what disarm means? They don't have any power anymore over you. Remember the scene in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, one of the greatest movies of all time? Remember the bumble? Remember the bumble? And, he, and then, you know, of course, Yukon Cornelius and, and his buddy, they take his teeth out. And then he's just this big bumble that's got no power anymore. Oh, he's a humble bumble now, right? He's real scary looking, but in the end, he's got no teeth. What Jesus did at the cross and at the resurrection is he took away the teeth. Is he still scary? Yeah. Is he still active? Yeah, but his defeat is over. And so, so Ephesians talks about how Jesus, when he ascended on high, Ephesians 4, he led, ho- he led captive a host of captives. He, he gave gifts to many. He's pictured as this triumphal parade where he's throwing the spoils of war to his people. And, and the spoils of war are gifts to equip you for the work of ministry. And he's given you weapons to fight now in the spiritual realm. He's given you armor, Ephesians 6, to fight the spiritual battle. And some of us just need to start fighting. And, and understand that your, your champion has won. Don't, don't live in defeat. Are you or are you not a son and daughter of God? Yes or no? Are you or are you not chosen by God before the foundation of the world? Are you or are you not sealed by the Spirit so that the Father says you are secure? No one is going to able to snatch you out of my hand. Is it true or is it not true that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Is it true or is it not that you have been sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption? So why do we live like defeated Christians so often. Oh, I can't believe it. What are we going to do about the president? What are we going to do about the, the public schools? What are we going to do about the... Why? Because we, we fight from a position of, of defeat. Oh, no. And we don't realize that we have a champion who has won. Abraham has a champion who is going ahead of him. So do you. And here's, here's one reason some of you guys fail so much, and so when I do, is because you're not fighting at all. You're just kind of out there. You're more concerned about who's dating who and who's on Pinterest and who's in this and what's the stock market doing. And what Paul would say to you is that no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlists him as a soldier. Right? If you're a soldier, you're supposed to be fighting. And some of us aren't fighting because we're, we're concerned about X, Y, and Z. Others of us are losing because we're fighting the battle with physical weapons that you think that behavior modification is going to change things. You think that the president of the United States is going to make America better, some of you. You really do. And look, I'm not saying a good president can't have some impact, but do you think that one guy besides Jesus is going to change the heart of, of 600 
million or however many people are in this country, you think that he can change that? It, it's, it's a false hope. Right? You can have Moses as the president, and he's leading the people, and they're still miserable. So, so it's not going to solve the problem. The battle has to be fought in the spiritual realm. And there's two spiritual weapons. You have prayer and you have the word of God. And so what some of you need to do is if there's a struggle, you need to identify the fact that it is spiritual in nature. I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many of us got in fights this morning before church? Lots. And you have to realize, you think that's by accident? No, no you don't get in fights before you go to work because no one cares. You go to church, you're going to go worship. It's a spiritual issue. You've got to fight spiritual issues with spiritual weapons. And so if there's a struggle and there's a conflict at work and you're the type of person, and this is half of y'all, that want to run in and you're going to, you're going to get a guns ablaze and you're going to fix this problem. You need to, you need to take some time. You need to, to meditate and probably memorize just a couple verses like a soft answer turns away wrath. Blessed are the peacemakers... These are where you need to go. Others of you are like me and we hate conflict. And, and a hard conversation is the last thing I ever want to do. So this week I had to have a potential hard conversation. And so before I did what I did, I just, I, I, I did spiritual, spiritual armor. I just prayed, Lord, give me the words to say. Give me confidence. Give me boldness. It's the same idea. Spiritual weapons. Some of you struggling with Depression. And, and you need to use your spiritual weapons. You need to go to the scripture and see that you are loved by God. You are not alone. And you need to start preaching to yourself. Preach what the psalmist says. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. That's what the psalmist says to himself when he's, when he's depressed. These are spiritual weapons to fight the spiritual battle. You can't manage your kids, but you can pray for them. It's a spiritual weapon. Right? And so, so we need to start, and again, I could, we could spend a lot of time. What I just want you to know is your champion has won, so take heart. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Right? So fight from a position of victory. And when you fall like Abraham, you get back up and say, my God has, has dealt with this. I'm, I'm going forward. Right? That's, that's the first thing I see. Here's the second thing, real quick. And and. Tell me if you're not amazed the fact that Abraham goes after Lot. I mean, if you're honest, how many of you are like, how many of you would have been like, well, that's his problem. He lived in, he wanted to live in Sodom. He got what he wanted. That's what he gets for treating his uncle with disrespect. He made his bed. He can lie. How many of us, if we're honest, be like, that's me. I'd be like, that's me. You tied it, you ride it, love life. But yet, what does Abraham do? 80-year-old dude. 80-year-old man gets off the couch, puts the war paint on, gets on the camel with the bumper sticker on the back that says, blessed. (laughs) Goes all William Wallace and gets back his nephew. Risks it all. Why? Because it's his kinsman. It's his brother. How many times does it say? He's my brother. He's, he's my kinsman. I'm reminded of that great, there's a great scene in the movie Tombstone, great, where, where Doc Holliday's fighting with Wyatt Earp, and he says, why are you doing this, Doc? He says, Wyatt Earp is my friend. I got plenty of friends, I don't. 
That's the idea. There's a loyalty there. It's his brother. So he goes after his brother. And here's just a reminder for us, right? Is that we are called as God's people to pursue people. And sometimes that means putting the war paint on your face. And sometimes that means you're gonna lose energy. He goes 500 miles after Lot. 250 up, 250 back. There is sacrifice there. This, this is hard. Going after people is messy, it is costly, it loses sleep, but this is what God's called us to do. The sacrifice, to, so when that person calls and you see the caller ID and you're like, and decline or accept. Knowing it's gonna be a 47 minute conversation about the same thing you've had 20 times already. Or when that person comes to you and they just want to have coffee and they want to complain about the same thing and they want to tell you all the same thing and you've had that conversation over and over. Or maybe it's that person in your community group and you know they're the one who takes up the whole time. And they're always talking. And that's, I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. Sometimes someone should say, hey, we, we need to all talk. But you know that they're going to be the one talking. It's the same issue. And you're like, <sighs> right? You pursue people. Or maybe it's that wayward child that, that has rebelled against you, has, who's gone the exact opposite direction that God calls you to pursue, to love, right? Maybe it's giving of time that you don't wanna give. I remember a couple years ago, this is about two years ago, I can't remember, my first cousin, he's got twins and like a four-year-old and they're like 18-month-old twins and we're out with them for a little bit, it was fine, we're out you know, at the flea market and then my wife makes this statement, we can watch the kids for you if you wanna go on a date. And I looked over and I said, Do you, we have four kids, four. You want three more? And these children, let me tell you, they were full tilt, these twins. And this four-year-old's watching us like we're bad parents watching, what are you doing with my sisters? What are you doing with my sisters? And, and we're, it was three hours later and I was, dead. I was like, I can't believe that. But that was her, not me, because I got no reward in heaven for that one. <laughs> that was her pursuing people and giving energy to people. It doesn't have to be you have to run to, to, to Dan or run to Damascus. It may be that. It may be a phone call. I haven't seen you at church in a while. You all right? It's just we're, we're, we're to leave the 99 behind because Jesus does. That's the biggest thing. Okay. And so we have to remember that we are not called to just be a church that gathers on Sunday and be, just be glad because I have a seat on Sunday and it's a real comfortable place and that's great. It's not about being comfy. Sometimes you gotta put the war paint on. Sometimes you gotta get out of the couch. You gotta pursue people. That's just part of, that's part of the story, right? Just like fighting the war, that's part of the story. But here's where we get to, the, to really the theme, the big portion of this, of this story. Verse 17, after his return... From the defeat of Ketelamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the most high God. So we're introduced to two guys here. We got a good guy and a bad guy. The bad guy is the king of Sodom, all right? This is the original, you know, what happens in Sodom stays in Sodom. This is a wicked city. This is a wicked king, all right? He's the bad guy. Then we have this other guy. His name is Melchizedek. Okay, his name, Melchi, my king, Zedek is the word for righteousness. My king is righteousness. My king is just. He is the king of Salem, which is modern day Jerusalem. 
all right? King of peace. Jerusalem is just a city of peace, all right? He is a very, very unique guy in all the Bible. Notice it says he was a priest of God most high. He is a king and he is a priest. There's only one other guy in all the Bible that has a dual role of being king and being priest, okay? And we're gonna come back to that in a little bit. But what we find out is this guy Melchizedek is what we call a type. He shows up again in Psalm 110. I read it to you guys this morning already. And he shows up in Hebrews 5 and 7. Very important guy in the Bible. He's what we call a type. And all a type is is a picture or it's just a foreshadowing of something that happens later. It's supposed to teach you about something that's going to happen in the future. Now, it's not too hard to figure out who he is a type of. He's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. Right? He is a king and he is a priest and he shows up offering communion. Who is it? We'll find out in a few minutes. Right? But let's see what he says to Abram. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham God most high, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. A couple things about his blessing. Number one, it shows that him and Abraham worship the same God. Not the river God, not the mountain God, not the moon God, the creator God, Hebrew is El Elyon, the most high, the one true God. He says, blessed be you, why? Because God, the creator, did this. And notice he says, he has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what he's saying is this, Abram, you know, it was good that you got your 318 guys and it was good you jumped on your camel and went 150 miles north and it was good that you waited till night and it was good that you split your forces and it was good you attacked like that. But let's make one thing very clear, Abram. The only reason that you won this battle you shouldn't is because God Most High delivered these enemies into your hand. That is the only reason you won. There's a very physical aspect to your war. Get it, we've talked about that. But this was a spiritual victory given to you by God Most High. And the reason he does is why. We've been talking about it. Because he's a God of grace and he's a God who keeps his word. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And that's exactly what he does. Because, Abram, your life is so connected to his, because you represent him, he has given you the victory. So be sure on that. And so Abram responds in worship. He gives him a tenth of everything. He gives him a tithe if there was 10,000 pounds of silver, he gave, he gave Melchizedek 1,000. If there was 10,000 cattle, he gave him 1,000 cattle. He gives him 10% of all the spoils of war. And I got, look, I don't even have time to go into the questions I have here. For, biggest question is, why does he give 10%? I mean, where does 10% come from? You say, well, Bill, don't you know the Bible? That's a tithe, it's in the Bible. Yeah, but the law comes after this. This is, after, this is before the Mosaic law. This is not, this, Moses, there's no Moses yet. There's no tablets. There's no tithing. Why does he, I don't know. And you don't even, so don't say you do, because it doesn't say. But he gives 10% of all this stuff to Melchizedek. And here's the principle I want you to see, okay? It's just big picture principle for us as we live this life that we want to continue to grow, is that God's people have always, from the beginning to the end, been generous givers. Just givers. Abraham Gives. Why does he give? Does God need cattle? No. What's he going to do with them? Does God need silver? Where's he going to spend it? And I know some of you, if you're visiting this morning, you're like, oh, here it is. Visit a church. Talk about giving. Talk about money. Right? I promise you, we do it only when it comes up in the text. 
and, and you don't need to worry about us taking your money because we don't even take an offering, all right? So this has nothing to do with getting your money. This has everything to do with God's people have always been generous, right? And, and the biggest piece of, of giving is, is that it is a reflection of the heart. There's something about money that just, it's, it's like a microscope into your soul to see what you really treasure. Yes, you can worship with your mouth and you can worship with your work and with your talents. Yes, but there's something tangible about money as an expression of worship that scripture is just, just zooms in on. And, and you know it to be true because as soon as you mention money in the church, it's like, ooh, everyone starts grabbing their wallet, right? And there's just like, ooh, he's gonna, he's gonna, talk, he's gonna talk about money. Don't talk about money, talk about anything else. It's just something, why? Because it's so, it's so connected with the heart, right? It's so connected with the heart. And, and, and here's kind of just big piece for us as a church is that God deserves your first and your best, period. And some of you are thinking, well, how much do I have to give? Fine. That's, that's the wrong question. You gotta teach 10% in the church. You gotta teach the Old Testament tithe. Well, if I'm teaching the Old Testament tithe, it's actually 23 and a third percent. Because there's three tithes, two every year and once every third year. So if you want to go there, I'll go 23 and a third. All right? The point is not, look, for our family, 10%, that, that's, the, that's the baseline starting point because of passages like this. But the, the point is not to, to hook you into a number. All right? The point is, you're going to give your first and the best to something. You're going to tithe to something. What is it? If, if your first and best goes to getting something that makes your lifestyle better, then probably comfort is your most important treasured thing. Or if going right into savings, that's your, that's your first and best, then you probably trust that more than God. And what usually happens is when that extra $1,000 comes into the family, what happens? One spouse says, we need a new whatever. If it's a guy, it's a TV, it's a, if it's a lady, it's something else, right? And the, and, the, and the other person says, no, 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 we need to save. And, and there's all this conflict, right? And each of the people who God in his brilliance always marries the exact opposite to each other because he has a sense of humor. Each thinks the other person has a problem with money. Well, they just, they just don't trust God because we need a new couch. And if you didn't want us to have a new couch, you wouldn't have given us $1,000. And the other one's thinking, well, that, that person would just understand that there's gonna be a bad market and they just have money issues. You both think the other person has money issues and the reality is you both do. It's just different. But where, where do your first and your best go? That, that's, that's the biggest question. And so what we would say as a church is whatever is cheerful, whatever is sacrificial, whatever requires faith, you pray about that and that's between you and God. And if you have a good conscience, then amen. That's, that's, that's what you give. And it doesn't have, I mean, yes, we give to the church, but there's also a bazillion other things that are good things. And so God just has given you things so that you can be generous. And let me just, I know some of this, this is a struggle for some of you because number one, some of you have been hurt in churches and you've been, and I get that. And if you're like, well, I don't know where y'all are at yet. And do you not feel, please, we don't want your money. We don't need your money, right? So don't feel that I'm trying to get your money. You pray about where God's gonna put it and, and eventually, hopefully you'll see that we're, we feel like we're investing in people and in kingdom and, and you feel like this is a good place to invest. But let me just encourage some of you who, who are struggling with this, and this is a, it's a challenge. I, if you could do a poll of everyone in this room, everyone in second service, of which people worry about money and which people don't, you know what the common denominator will be in almost every single one? It will have nothing to do with how much money they make. 
Because I have seen millionaires in this church worry about money. And I've seen college students who are eating ramen noodles completely fine. Not worried about a thing. Right? It has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has everything to do with what you value and treasure most. And those people who are <laughs> relaxed when it comes to money are the ones who are trusting God and just saying, hey, it's his anyway, so I'm just going to open hand every time. Every time. Right? And so you pray about it, do what God tells you to do, but just understand that God is, God's people have always been generous because God is generous. And one more thing here. Notice, and, this, and again, principle is that be, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. That, that, that's the principle Jesus says when it comes to your money. Right? He wants your heart. He doesn't need your money. What happens next is so Abraham deals with Melchizedek and now Abraham's going to deal with the king of Sodom. Verse 21, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods. Says, Abram, good job. Thanks for, thanks for beating these kings. Just give me the people. You can take all the stuff. I don't want the stuff. Just give me my people. Here's what Abram responds. Abram said to the king, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high. Where's that language come from? Same thing Melchizedek was saying, right? I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. So I don't want even a shoelace from you, king. Because then people are gonna say that I'm tied to you, then my reputation gets pulled into yours and my reputation is tied to God's and I don't want that, that relationship and so I don't want any of this stuff. The only thing I'll take is I have some young men, they've eaten some of your sheep because it's been 500 miles. And so they, their meals kind of, we'll call it even. The share of the men who went with me, let Anar, Eskel and Mamre take their share. But I don't want any of your stuff because it'll sully this victory in God's reputation. And so he renounces it. He renounces it. And here's the, here's the last principle for us. Is as you walk with God, there is going to be times when you are called to renounce evil because of the reputation of God. Because you are so tied to him that if you go there, he gets brought into that. So I think of a guy in our church who lost his job, had an opportunity to go work for this company over here, but this is a company who charges un sinful rates for people to borrow money. Just sinful rates. And he turns that job down because I cannot do that with a good conscience as a follower of Jesus. That's renouncing evil. It's you at business. Everyone else is doing these shady deals, these questionable deals, and that's what everybody does. And to compete, you have to feel like you have to do that, or are you gonna trust that God can make up the difference? It's renouncing. Or maybe it's a job offer that offers X amount more money. The only catch is you can only be with your family three nights a week and you be at church once every six weeks. But it's more money. You, you gotta renounce for the sake of your family, for the sake of your walk with God. It's, it's single folks renouncing the modern model of dating where we take advantage of each other where we could care less about purity in our reputation. It's renouncing that. It's high schoolers. It's renouncing, hey, there's this party and everyone's gonna be boozing, hooking up, but I'm just gonna drink spring water there. I'm gonna be, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna sit on the couch and watch TV. No, no, it's, say, like, I can't go there. It's, it's, it's ladies in a day and age where you're encouraged to dress in a promiscuous way, saying, no, I'm gonna choose to dress modestly and trust that, that God will take care of that. I don't have to find a spouse by doing something, going out there and, and, and getting people to look at me in a certain way. 
It's renouncing evil, right? It's entertainment, which there's certain shows and certain movies that are just not good for your soul and certain songs and certain artists. It just that, you know, I can't, doesn't mean you have to go listen to Stephen Curtis Chapman all day long. You're only allowed to listen to Stephen. He's fine, he's great. I love, you know, I love me some Stephen Curtis. But there's certain things that are not good for your soul. Journey is not one of them. Right? And it doesn't mean it's we're better than people. It doesn't mean it's not because we're in the holy huddle. It's because you can't fight the spiritual battle if you're on the other side. I mean, how is Abraham going to be a light in Israel if he's joining arms with Sodom? How is he going to be that? How is he going to be that? And think about, just think about the response of what that looks like. What is the king of Sodom thinking about Abraham? This guy is completely different than everybody else I've ever met. He is definitely different than his nephew Lot. What if his, his coalition of Mamre and these guys, Anul or whoever they are, what are they saying? Has Abraham lost it? He doesn't want the money? What is, is he crazy? His God is completely different than anybody I know. And it gives him an opportunity not only to be a light, but also to tell his story. Here's why, guys. Here's why I won't take his money, because my God is this. It's an opportunity for you to tell your story. When you won't cheat on the test, when everyone's looking up, and, oh, what's your answer number five? When you're zoned in and you won't do it. Why didn't you cheat? Because my God says, I'm supposed to be truthful, right? Why didn't you do that? It's an opportunity for the church to be salt and light. And this is, the darker it gets out there, y'all, the more opportunity it's gonna be light. It's a great opportunity. This is the kind of stories we want, stories of generosity that we're looking back Stories of, of returning from evil. Stories of that you went after this person and brought them back. Stories that we are fighting the spiritual battle. That's the kind of stories that we want to look back and remember. And it's all tied together, just real quick, in this one guy, Melchizedek. I could do seven sermons on Melchizedek. I'm going to give you three minutes. All right. In the New Testament, Melchizedek is called a type of the Lord Jesus. He, he foreshadows what would happen 2,000 years later with Jesus. Because the problem was this. We needed a new priest. The Levites, the Old Testament priests, they were no good. They had all sorts of problems. Problem number one, they were sinners. So every time they went to the altar to offer a sacrifice, they had to offer a sacrifice from themselves first. Problem number two, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So they're offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and it never takes away sin. Problem number three, they all died. And then a new one would come up, and then he would die. And then a new one would come up, and he would die. And so we needed a better priest, and we needed a better covenant. And so one comes, as the psalmist says, from the order of Melchizedek. He's like Melchizedek. Melchizedek, you don't know where he comes from. He says he doesn't have a genealogy. You don't know where he came from. You don't know who his dad was. Jesus comes out of heaven, right? They're very similar. They just show up, both of them. Right? Jesus is the king of peace. Why? Because he makes atonement for his people. Jesus is the king of righteousness because unlike the Levites, he is perfect. Jesus brings communion like Melchizedek. He brings bread and wine. What does Jesus offer? He offers his body. He offers his blood for the forgiveness of sins. If you think about 2,000 years before Jesus shows up, this guy does pictures perfectly what he would do. You couldn't invent it, y'all. This is the beauty of the scripture. I couldn't come up with that if I tried. 
A guy who shows up who is a king, who is a priest, whose name means king of peace, whose name means king of righteousness, and he offers wine and, and bread? You, you couldn't write it if you wanted to. It just shows the continuity of this is a story about who God is and what he has done. And, and the, the reality is, unless you are under his blessing, the Lord Jesus, you, why should you renounce evil if you're not a follower of Christ? Why should you be generous? You ought to get, get, get. Why should you pursue people? Why should you fight a war? Why should you resist sin? You shouldn't. It's all tied together in the Lord Jesus. That's, that's why Melchizedek is the point of the story, right? And that's why Christ is the point of the big story. And so what we're gonna do is, is just worship. As Ethan said, we're gonna behold the lamb who took away the sin of the world and we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table. And if you were a Christian this morning, we invite you to participate. If you have put your faith in Jesus, the high priest, the king, for the forgiveness of your sins, you are invited to take. The men will come back. Here's how we're gonna do it, just so you're not asking questions. The men are gonna bring it forward and they're gonna pass it out. And when you have just some time of reflection and some repentance and maybe thinking about some of these things that you can take there in your seat when you are ready and then we'll just sing and sing a couple more songs and worship, okay? Let me pray um, and then we'll, uh, we'll worship through the table and through singing. Father, I thank you for your son pictured in the word so many different ways. We thank you for this man, Melchizedek, and Abram. But we were, we often think, oh, we're just like Abraham, but really we're like Lot. And we're the ones who ran away, and we're the ones who were pulled into slavery. And, and, and Lord Jesus, you, like Abraham, rescued us. You came. And so we remember that right now. We think about that right now. I just pray that our stories over our life would just be characterized with generosity, with pursuing and loving and giving energy to other people, with faithfully uh, renouncing those things which uh, just bring your name into ill repute that, that would give your reputation uh, something that, that we wouldn't want to attach to it. And so that would be just consistent through our lives. Um, we do that by your spirit and because Christ is our victor and he has won the battle for us. It's in his holy name we pray.